Ah, 10.41, the Bulletin this morning with Andrew Gordy. Uh, always on a Wednesday, we love to get Gord's as a midweek uh, star for us. And Gord sat down over his cornflakes this morning and he heard the news that Kane Williamson's back in the nets. And uh, he was pretty happy, I understand. Tell me you're not excited about that, Smithy. Tell me you're not excited about that. I mean, look, I, I don't want to get... I'm not. Uh, I'm certainly not a doctor, and, and I know you're not either, but I would like a doctor to explain to me exactly what we're seeing in that video and whether we should get excited about the prospect of Kane featuring at this World Cup that's coming up. I think all of us have pretty much written off the, the idea of Kane featuring at this one-day World Cup for the Black Caps. But, look, it's, it's one, of those, one of those things, isn't it? He is such an influential player... And he is so important to this team that I think even... And and I'm curious, like, what sort of percentage would you put on it? Would you take an 80%, 85%, 75% fit Kane Williamson to a World Cup? Because, to be perfectly honest, Smithy, the Black Caps have no chance of winning this World Cup without Kane Williamson. But having him essentially out of the picture and now potentially back in, what an enormous boost that would provide. But like, like I say, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it's very encouraging signs. I don't think we'd see anything like that um, from Kane Williamson, uh, certainly at this stage. You know, we're, we're obviously just ticking into August now. But, you know, I, I sort of look into things like that, the fact that the, what was posted, the video was posted, wasn't just Kane, it was a, it was a co-post with, with the Black Caps. So they're obviously across this. They're very much across developments and, you know, they're they might be trying to play down, or at least Gary Stead might be trying to play down expectations of whether Kane's going to feature in this World Cup. But if they're starting to post videos like that, well, how can fans not get excited about the prospect of him, you know, making some kind of miraculous comeback and, and being able to feature mm. for this team at this World Cup? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, I think you can, you know, maybe factor out the first one or two games over there and just give another week if it needs to be. I, I just... Yeah, his presence around, I think Gary Stead will just be hanging out for it, absolutely hanging out of what coach wouldn't be. And what coach wouldn't want to be uh, having Scott Barrett in his lineup at the moment, eh? Gee, I'll tell you what, Smitty, I, I know there's been some impressive performances and, and some players emerged this year um, in the New Zealand rugby scene that have really, you know, taken the place by storm. I mean, Mark Talia, obviously, on the weekend, like, I was, yeah, very, very excited about uh, about that little goose step he put on Kuroi Betty um, and, and that game on the mm. weekend. And, and there's, there's others that I could mention. But honestly, Smitty, I, I don't think there's a single player who's impressed me more this year than Scott Barrett. Like, I had really, if I'm honest, I'd sort of pigeonholed Scott Barrett as this, as not, not I won't say a squad player, but I'd, I'd really sort of, you know, pigeonholed him as, as, as just a sort of member of the wider squad. His emergence, not only as a lock, and I think you can quite seriously, and I'm not the only person who's saying this, obviously, I'm not, I'm not um, you know, breaking any new ground here, but I think he has emerged as the number one lock in this country now, which is no disrespect whatsoever to Sam Whitelock and Brodie Retallick. They have been outstanding players, magnificent servants, but I just think at the stage of his career versus them, he's, he's the first guy. And I, and I think Sam and, and Brodie are both playing to be Scott Barrett's partner um, in the engine room for this All Blacks team. But also, I just look at his emergence as a leader. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't see that coming. If you'd asked me that two or three years ago, I, I didn't see that coming as, as Scott Barrett emerging as a leader. I think, you know, most of us probably thought like he was very much living in the shadow of his two brothers. Um, but he has just really risen to prominence, not only as a player, but as a leader as well. He was outstanding, I thought, as a leader for the Crusaders this year. 
And you look at those two moments on the weekend, and I know they've been, I'm sure they've been discussed ad nauseum on this program and on this radio station over the last few days. But that tackle on Tate McDermott, that is the sort of impact play that, that highlights what a leader he has become. But I almost, as a fan, if I'm trying to just put, my, put, put myself uh, in the position of the fan at the moment, that little shush, that little shush for Nick White, that was his <laughs> equivalent of George Gregan's four more years. That was an iconic moment, captured on camera, that I think really speaks to All Blacks fans. And honestly, Smitty, I'll be surprised, I'll be very surprised if Scott Barrett isn't the All Blacks captain within possibly even 12 months. Wow. Okay, big call. Like it. Uh, we'll mark that one down on this particular date, the 2nd of August. Andrew Gordy said it. Okay, and I'm looking forward to Bledisloe Cup uh, too um, because I think we're going to pump them again, So, and I'm not liking Eddie <laughs> Jones. Here's, here's the other thing. I can't, I, I, whilst I know it's been on for a, a thick end of about six days, I really can't wait for the Netball World Cup to get started, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, it, I, I know exactly what you mean, Smithy. And look, obviously, um, desperately disappointing news for the Silver Ferns with Grace Murphy being ruled out. She's such a crucial member of that squad. And I think, I think the Silver Ferns were obviously, they, they were, they were going to find it challenging to defend this World Cup title anyway. But she was like their point of difference person, wasn't she? Like, she really adds something to that shooting circle that I think, that I think other teams can't necessarily match. So to lose her is an enormous blow. But I think if you're just looking at the, the tournament overall, if we're trying to take a holistic view of it, it's a, it's a tough tournament to get into, isn't it? Because, you know, they're thrashing teams like Singapore and, and, and Wales and whatnot, and it, it really is hard to take this tournament seriously until you get to the point where they're facing, you know, Jamaica, South Africa, England, Australia, um, which is a shame for Nibble, but look, that's, there's nothing they can do about that. You can only put on a tournament that... I mean, and look, you, you can say the same for other tournaments, really, can't you? I mean, the Rugby League World Cup for a long time was very similar to that as well. Now, thankfully, obviously, they've got the you know the Island Nations, Pacific Island Nations, that are really growing in strength, and that's growing the profile of the international game. Um, but look, netball needs to be doing the same, doesn't it? And they need to really increase the profile and, and the, the ability, I suppose, of, of the players and the teams um, from outside of those sort of traditional big three or four nations. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be fascinating, I think, um, as we really do get to the business end of this tournament to see how, how the Silver Ferns react. You know, this is where the rubber meets the road. And, look, I know that Dame Nolan Toto managed to really perform a bit of a miracle with this team um, four years ago, um, and I'm fascinated to see whether she can do something similar this time around. Gordon, you've uh, uh, analysed, um, done reports on, uh, you know, everything I'm, I'm sort of intimating here. Of it, and you've been around for a long, long time. I've seen a lot of great sporting sides and athletes across uh, your path as well. What are you making this, of this US side last night? I mean, they attract the record crowd at Eden Park. And, uh, uh, you know, OK, Portuguese fans were there, but the United States people are always going to be looking forward to watching this tournament. Four or five of them only sing the national anthem. They're playing like, well, they're playing like a B team. Uh, have you have you had a reflection on them? So here's my reflection on on the US women's national team. Right. So they're obviously a, a supremely talented group of athletes. Right. They they and and the the results show that. Right. They they're obviously they come to this tournament as as the World Cup holders. Um, but there's also the, and I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with the dynamic that exists, like the male versus female dynamic that exists, um, particularly in US soccer. Okay, so the US women's national team is 
is, is frankly bigger. <laughs> it's, it's bigger than the men's national team. And they've fought for that and quite rightly fought for that to, for, for equal pay and a better share of marketing rights and, and all that, that, those sorts of things. What comes with that, though, and, and this is why I'm raising this, because I think it does relate back to New Zealand and, and, and our attitude towards the, uh, how, how shall I say this, the critique and analysis of our women's international sporting teams. Um, I think when you're getting to a point where, if we just look at the US women's national team for a moment, they, they have achieved to a high level and they've fought for what they deserve off the field. And with that comes a high level of, of critique and analysis. And, I, and I, I'd sort of point you to an article that's actually on, on stuff this morning, um, which reflects on some of the how the analysts have climbed into this US women's national team off the back of that performance last night. And I'm curious about whether, whether New Zealand, the New Zealand sporting public is ready for that, but for our own women's national teams, because there is so much positive goodwill and good messaging around, like we're still at that stage of trying to build up our women's, women's national teams, whether it's the black ferns, the white ferns, the, you know, the silver ferns, um, uh, the football ferns. Uh, it's all still about building them up. And I just wonder we, at what point we're going to reach that tipping point where we don't just talk about how well they're doing, but, but also talking about why they're not doing as well as they could be when it calls for that. And because my, mm. my sort of overall sense is that I don't know that we're quite ready for that as a sporting public just yet, but I do welcome the day, and I think we should all welcome the day when it comes, because that will mean that women's sport is absolutely being treated as, a, as an equal to men's sport, and that's what's happening with, with the US women's national team at the moment, particularly with this World Cup, and that's because they have earned it. They have earned that right They're, through winning World Cups and, and you know living proof, I suppose, that what they're bringing to the table in the US soccer sphere, I suppose, is more than what the men are bringing to the table. So, uh, yeah, I, like I say, I absolutely welcome the day that that, that comes here in New Zealand, and I, I hope it's not too far away. Andrew Gordy, as always, uh, great to have you on. Uh, love having you on uh, in terms of um, <coughs> the review of those uh, of of those particular situations. But looking forward to the weekend as well, Gords. Uh, we're just uh, we've got so much to talk about. We could have gone for an hour, but uh, as you well know, there are times constraints in the media industries that we work in. So, uh, thank you very much for this week, mate. And we'll catch up again soon. Have have a terrific week. You too. Cheers, mate.